Hi, everybody. Welcome to the April 17th, 2020 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get started with a quick take on Governor Jared Polis using a private company to access information about people's movements throughout Colorado using their cell phone data. But the state is saying information about the relationship is not subject to open record requests because it is an external relationship to the government. We'll start with Petty Calhoun from Westward. What do you think of the uh, desperate times call for desperate measures, but I'm not sure if Colorado knew that we would already have Big Brother tracking us uh, that's maybe taking it to the next level. But what do you think about the headlines we saw today? Well, if you don't think Big Brother is already tracking you, uh, you probably don't believe in the coronavirus either. I have to say I hope that the private citizens who are helping the governor track what's going on with coronavirus are enjoying all the emojis, recipes, and really bad songs that people have been leaving on my cell phone. And uh, David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. This is kind of new territory for us, and frankly, we're getting used to that in this kind of a crisis. But is this something that should have gone through proper channels instead of just personally through the governor? Well, however it happened, it's extremely sleazy and I, I think pretty clearly illegal. You know, if the State Department of Transportation has a relationship with some highway contractor, maybe the highway contractor's internal records aren't subject to the Colorado Open Records Act, but certainly everything the Department of Transportation does in its correspondence with the contractor is uh, subject to uh, Open Records Act. And that would be true even if the contractor were just volunteer voluntarily uh, doing the work w- without pay. Um, these are the records that have been used as the justification to put the entire state under house arrest. They're, once they're in the government's hands, that data and that relationship are clearly subject to the Colorado Open Records Act, and the public is entitled to see them, and this cover-up should end immediately. Eric Sondran, political uh, analyst and a columnist with Colorado Politics. What do you think here? I mean, I don't think we should expect all of our elected officials to do perfectly in this kind of crisis, but this feels like something that Polis is going to want to fix. So to be more transparent, maybe not. What do you think? Well, I've been outspoken, Dominic, as you know, in supporting most of Jared Polis's action and supporting uh, the quarantine and the social distancing and the stay at home, et cetera. That said, you have to acknowledge that we're playing with some level of fire here in how we are treating individual liberties and how we are treating uh, basic issues of privacy. Maybe that can be justified in the case of a pandemic over a very short term. I'm not sure I agree with all of David's characterizations, but I do agree with his bottom line that uh, this relationship should be subject to CORA, the CORA Open Records Act, and and any of these records uh, should be accessible to the public. Rounding up the panel, Lucille Wenagema, communications consultant with Cleos Creative. Lucille, it's great to have you on the program. What do you think of, I guess, the next step for Polis? Now, we, we already know what's happened in the past, but is there a way for him to fix this? And frankly, it seems like he would have the power to open up these records uh, for uh, the press and others to be able to take a look at. You know, one thing that we have to think about and really take a step back on is where this even comes from. Uh, the idea of, you know, surveilling uh, location of people in, in your population all comes from uh, how other uh, countries have uh, decided that they want to address this crisis. Uh, so we're seeing, you know, countries like South Korea and um, obviously China have have done various levels of this to varying degrees. Um, you know, different societies have different ideas of what um, freedom and access 
access um, security look like, right? But that's that's the frame that we're in. You know, we're we're starting to pivot and think about, you know, when do we know this is over? When do we know we can start doing something different? And that's where these kinds of location um, things come from. That being said. All of this has to be transparent. There is, not, particularly when we're when we're looking at, at private contractors and private relationships, it is imperative that people in the community know how that data is being used. That's not just in this context. That's in in terms of social media and a lot of other um, uh, private interactions that people are having with their technology. Um, as we're living in the 21st century, and as data becomes one of the most um, valued commodities in our society. Well, let's get to it. As we near the end of the latest stay-at-home order, the top issue in state politics is how the reopening of the state will work. Governor Poe has discussed the issue this week, but he warned that he sees it as a slow, gradual process that could last a year. Meanwhile, State House Minority Leader Republican uh, Patrick Neville has been very vocal in opposition and has come under fire for his comments about how Polis has handled the situation. Penny, we'll start with you. Uh, reopening the economy uh, and the state, uh, some easier said than done. Do you see it on the horizon? What kind of steps do you think are going to happen? What do you think about the reaction from various political parts of the state? Well, I think we can all agree that it's probably never a good idea to bring in the terms Nazi and Gestapo when you were talking about a crisis situation. So Patrick Neville has apologized. He said he's sorry he said it. Let's take that off the table for now. We are going to see really tricky, tricky maneuvers as you try to decide can people go out? What can they resume of their daily life? Can they, we won't see concerts for a long time, but will we see gatherings of 10 people? Will we see gatherings of 50 people? We're beginning to see that there are, a th- there's a three-stage plan in place that's being rolled out in different places around the country. Florida's opened some beaches today, but it is going to be gradual and it is going to be very, very tough to figure out how to make it work, especially because we'll probably see Maximum deaths this weekend in Colorado. We're still seeing the deaths from those who've already been hospitalized. So it is not time to go out and play in the park uh, with 20 of your closest friends in close proximity. David, I think we've heard it both on uh, national and local news about the fact that if you're going to reopen something, as they have in other countries, uh, a big part of that is going to be testing and a big part of that's going to be tracking uh, those are two things that I'm not sure if Colorado or really any state in America is really ready for. Uh, first of all, I'm not sure if we have the number of tests needed. And second of all, the whole idea of tracking a fellow American, uh, thats it, it goes against almost the DNA of the country, but it might be what actually gets us and our economy uh, up and going. How do you think that's going to work? Well, tracking in the sense of uh, not of secret tracking that the Governor gets the date on and gets hidden from the public, but tracking in the sense of contact tracing is crucial. You know, South Korea got all the tests and did the contact tra- uh, tracing right right from the start, and that's one reason they and Taiwan, for example, have controlled it. Uh, they're fortunate not to have the FDA and the Centers for Disease Control, uh, these sclerotic organizations, which blocked uh, for months uh, the development of, of effective tests. Uh, I agree with Patty that. Uh, the Nazi Gestapo rhetoric is certainly inappropriate um, in regard to Governor Polis. Um, among other things, uh, those organizations were very stringent uh, gun control advocates, and the governor has done a sincere and, and good job uh, about in in this crisis uh, protecting uh, the right to keep and bear arms. And he's right that things like masks, gloves, uh, 
and other uh, precautions are going to be necessary for a long time. But it's time to start with, with appropriate precautions following the lead of governors like Mike DeWine in Ohio, who was prescient in taking action early um, against CCP virus. And he's got plans for, for reopening things with rules for masks, and sanitation and, and temperature checks. The, the business shutdowns have been way too broad and arbitrary. You can buy a refrigerator at Home Depot, but not at a refrigerator store. Alcohol and marijuana are critical businesses, but vape isn't. It's illegal to be a dog groomer who takes the dog from the yard to her van and never sees the customer. You know, unemployment's very bad for health, too. And it's time to end unemployment for businesses that can operate safely and that never should have been shut down in the first place. Eric, this is not going to be an easy equation, and it looks like each state is going to try to figure out their own way. From what we've seen so far, do you think that uh, early May is going to be when we start seeing some first steps uh, from Governor Polis and from the state government? Well, we can only hope so. I mean, the current stay-at-home orders that Governor Polis has issued go through uh, April 26th, which is coming up in, what, nine days or something like that now. I don't think anything's going to necessarily change on April 26th, but hopefully soon thereafter. As the governor himself said, this is not going to be a light switch. This is going to be gradually changing the dimmer on uh, on the switch. It's going to reopen uh, gradually. I guess I'm most taken by the argument of Megan McArdle, an economics columnist in the Washington Post, had a, a really good piece this week. I'd commend it to, for people to go find. And her point wasn't that one side of this debate or the other side of this debate are necessarily in charge in terms of economic interests versus public health interests. What's in charge here is the virus. Even if Jared Polis came on television this afternoon and announced a total relaxation of all these stay-at-home orders, I'm not sure it would change how most of us go about our daily business. I think it's going to be a long time before any of us are in a crowded movie theater, hanging out at the local mall or shopping in a uh, going up and down the aisles of a, a typical department store, uh, going to a crowded office building, for that matter, Dominic, but for the five of us getting together uh, in person around the CIO table as opposed to doing it remotely. Hopefully that day will come soon, but it is not coming that soon. The virus is in charge here. The data will drive it. And what you really want to avoid is a reopening that then spikes the numbers, overloads the system, and then you have to retrench and go right back to the point we are today. You do not want to get there. Lucille, when you look at the position Governor Polis is in, and frankly, the rest of state government, he's leading this, but he's not by himself. What is the right way that he and fellow elected leaders need to figure it out. I mean, there there isn't any one right answer, but I guess there would be a methodology. Uh, if you were advising Governor Polis, where, where should he go at this point? Well, you know, if I'm if I'm advising Governor Polis, I would tell him that I am not an expert. That's that's the first thing. But beyond that, um, I think that there are a lot of really um, amazing, insightful minds that that are working to tackle this from a lot of different angles. Um, as Eric started to say, um, we're looking at this from the health perspective, but we're also looking at the economy because the economy is a, a factor in all of this. It is a factor in people's health and well-being. Um, that being said, the the lives of folks and the the ways that our healthcare system functions. Um, 
if you're coming at it with that intention as saving lives, then that really has to be the underpinning of all of the things that you're doing in, in terms of these measures. Um, the one thing that I would also speak to is testing. Uh, we talked about how different states are doing different things, uh, the overall lack of leadership um, federally. And so we're really looking at you only know what you know. If you are on top of your testing, if you're able to administer early and often to your populations, then you have a broader base of information to work with about which of your um, businesses can come back, which of which types of interactions are you able to facilitate and which other ones have to be tamped down for a, a decent amount of time. I think another thing that Polis's administration and states across the country, as well as, as at the federal level, really need to, to start thinking about is what metrics are they looking toward to be able to establish when this is over? People need to know what the stages are. People need to know, you know, okay, I can do this for another month, but I don't know if I can do this indefinitely. I don't know how long I can abide by the rules because at the end of the day, People do what they can. Um, most of us, you know, are, are just trying to, to do our best and to be good neighbors. But to be able to accomplish that, we also have to be able to understand what the markers are, what the most important factors are, and how long this is going to, to last in varying degrees. So give people um, things that they can expect. Let's to our next topic. State officials released data this week that showed people of color are being hit the hardest by COVID-19 in Colorado, matching nationwide trends. Governor Polis said some of this could be reflective of economic disparities, but health officials in Colorado went further, pointing to documented institutional racism found in housing, medical, and access issues. Another group being hit hard are those in assisted living communities, with nearly 50% of the statewide deaths coming from this group. David, we'll start with you on this one. It's clear that some of the data coming back, that there are groups being hit harder, and it's bringing up more issues than just uh, facts about the virus. What do we need to pull from what we're hearing? Well, I mean, let's look at the, at the scientific data. One reason why infection rates differ among different groups is, is exposure. So obviously living in, in dense urban areas raises exposure, and in contrast to living in your own, your family's own single family house with a yard around it, which has less exposure. And likewise, working in essential businesses like, like healthcare, for example, or a lot of uh, retail with a lot of customers like supermarkets, that also raises exposure. And then in terms of the severity of infection, we know that's greatly increased uh, by the presence of comorbidities, um, uh, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, hypertension, for example. And as Governor Polis said, those are, have relationships to uh, income levels and uh, people with less income tem- tend to suffer more from cramped housing um, and, and these other uh, problems. But I think instead of making this mainly about race, we should try to reduce the, these kinds of problems for people of all races and end the laws that prevent the construction of affordable single-family houses and do what we can to reduce preventable diseases for all people. Sure. And that, that's a, you make an interesting point there, David. Eric, as you look at this, it feels like this is going to become a, a bigger issue, a bigger headline, because it isn't just about some biological fact of the virus. This is pointing to some other problems that uh, we have in uh, throughout our community, and it's reflective of what's happening uh, throughout the country. Do you feel that this is going to spawn further action beyond just what we're seeing in response to the virus? Well, sure. I mean, this virus uh, is not 
hitting all populations equally. I don't think there's any great surprise there. There's no great news flash there. David hit a, a number of the points in terms of living conditions. The other one that I don't think was mentioned is, you know, just in terms of poverty statistics and people who are living much closer to the line or below that poverty line are, are, are doing jobs that continue to be necessary, whether it's stocking grocery shelves or a hundred other jobs and exposing themselves more than most of us are on a daily basis uh, to this virus. So yes, there's a racial component to that. There's also a class. And I, I think the biggest component is a class slash uh, a poverty component. Uh, you're not going to eliminate that overnight. You're not going to eliminate that in the course of, of treating this virus. But obviously, it has to be a societal goal to eliminate it or at least reduce, lessen it uh, over time. This is not the only epidemic that has a racial component. We have an epidemic in this country of urban crime. You look at a place like Chicago or any other huge city, there's an epidemic that is not just a one-time occurrence such as this of urban crime. And it, of course, it has a huge racial component to it as well. Lucille, as you look at this, do you see that there's going to be at least a push for further action on some of the uh, the the long standing as as the, some studies point to or what the health officials spoke of directly about institutional issues are happening in these different communities that need to be addressed. Do you feel that's going to become a larger issue because of the focus, the international focus on the virus? Um, quite frankly, no. I don't think that this is going to, to get addressed. And the reason why I say that it's not going to get addressed is that some of these things that we're talking about, you know, David brought up comorbidities. Um, a lot of that, of course, we can, you know, try and say that it's completely up to personal choice. A lot of that has to do with resource availability. A lot of that has to do with scheduling and what you're, what you are able to get a hold of, what you can do, what kind of job you're working, what kind of environment you um, do that job in, whether it's a high pollution environment, um, et cetera. You know, these are these are things that America has neglected to address for a really long time, and they. It, this is just another arena that it's being manifested in. You know, we can we can say yes, we should make this better for for all people, of course. But when the facts are that almost seventy percent of COVID deaths are Black folks, uh, then clearly that is uh, something that you know isn't affecting people. Um, at the same rate and so needs to be addressed in a very particular way. Um, so the, the idea that, you know, even back to density, like, yes, uh, you know, people of color are living in more uh, population dense areas. Um, so if we're going to try and say that, that, you know, that's purely because, you know, white people get to live in, in homes with yards, that's, that's a little bit um, uh, ridiculous to me uh, that, that that's something that we're not going to link to the availability of housing, the sorts of work that um, various groups of people are relegated to doing. Um, you know, Eric spoke to um, a lot of people that we're talking about, people who are low income across race, people who um, are in um, more marginalized minorities being at the front lines of this, really still having to do those jobs that we all rely on that are essential jobs for all of us. You know, people that aren't able to at 10 o'clock in the morning talk on a, on a show oftentimes. Um, those are people who are at greater risk of exposure because those are the jobs that they're working. Um, they're not able to have as much um, mobility across class. And that those are the things that um, have been 
not addressed well before this issue and that are being exacerbated by this issue and will continue to be exacerbated when the next crisis comes. You know, health care is, is a particularly rife um, sort of arena where we see these other um, arenas, these other disparities really come into, into focus. So yes, I think that, you know, as, as we're looking at populations as a whole, particularly here in Colorado, we have to look at these different areas for different folks, but we also have to look at it for what it is, which is that our system is broken in a lot of ways for a lot of people, and they're going to experience this differently, and we have to speak to that directly. Patty, wrap it up for us. Do you see uh, further action being done for any of these groups? We're talking about either people of color or uh, the folks that have been hit hard in uh, different uh, assisted living communities. Well, remember, this is an international pandemic. And in China, we're not seeing a disproportionate number of African-Americans who are dying. People are dying around the world. So the research is going to focus on let's find out what we can do to come up with a vaccine. In this country and in different states, of course, we need to work on the inequities that have led to certain populations being more vulnerable. And that is poverty. That is going to be access to health care. That is going to be just healthy living things. The tragedy of the elderly and in, in units that have done really good jobs in a lot of cases to try to keep people healthy, but people are just passing away without being able to see their loved ones. The tragedies at those health institutions are really, really tough to deal with. Well, we've been a little bit chatty today, so I think it's going to be best if we go to our favorite part of the week, which, of course, is the disgrace of the week. Uh, Ms. Calhoun, as always, you start us off. Uh, uh, your disgrace of the week. I'm going to admit to being wrong again. Let's see, I was wrong a couple of weeks ago about Mother Cabrini holiday. Now I am wrong about the Gunnison County. I made fun of them a month ago when they closed restaurants to 60-year-olds. Now they have closed the entire county to out of people from outside the county, including pesky Texans who are very upset with me that I'm defending Gunnison County. Well, and Gunnison was also, as, as a city, I'm not sure of the whole county, but Gunnison was also one of the folks back in 1918 to one of the first uh, cities to lock down in that flu crisis yeah, as well. Studied. They've been studied because a century ago, they really stayed healthy because of that. Mm-hmm. David, you're the priest of the week. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy said he, quote, wasn't thinking of the Bill of Rights in his virus edicts because that's, quote, above my pay grade. Well, actually, his inauguration oath began, I, Phil Murphy, do solemnly promise and swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States. It's the most important thing for which he does get paid. Eric, your disgrace of the week. Well, speaking of quotes and speaking of lack of constitutional understanding, how about this quote? When, quote unquote, when somebody is president of the United States, the authority is total. That quote comes from our president, Donald Trump, earlier this week. It is too much to expect this gentleman to read all 85 Federalist Papers, but could he perhaps just read a Wikipedia entry or a Cliff Note version of the concept of federalism, also the concept of separation of powers? Authority in this country is not total. Somebody didn't get the memo. Lucille, your entry for Disgrace of the Week. Um, you know, my, my disgrace for this week is actually a little bit of a holdover from last week, but we, we finally got the results today, um, is the, the Wisconsin primary. I think that we can all agree that uh, the breakdown was massive. There are lots of fingers to point there, um, and we won't know for a little bit now um, what the 
actual health consequences will be of making voters go out um, against stay-at-home orders to exercise their civic rights. Time for the nice part of the show. Say something nice about somebody, especially in these times. It's even more important than any other week. Uh, Patty, as always, we start with you. You Say something nice. I love the Howl at 8 p.m. movement that has started actually in Denver now has more than half a million people around the world celebrating it. And on April 22nd, it will be Halloween. So go out in costume and howl at the moon at 8 o'clock. It's uh, certainly a lot of fun to uh, hear. I know in our neighborhood, we we always know what time it is. We start hearing the howls and uh, other folks uh, uh, letting know uh, how much they appreciate uh, all the different folks in the front line with us. Uh, let's go to David. You're going to say something nice. Who knew that the 101 Dalmatians with the barking hour would actually be a prediction for our future? Um, the upcoming National Football League draft is my best thing for the week because for people who enjoy sports news, it's great to have some actual news. That's a good point. And the PGA also making some sports news that they want to come back in June. It's uh, as someone I think put on uh, uh, one sportscaster said, mark it down in pencil, maybe not in ink, but uh, at least they're giving it a shot. Eric, here, say something nice. I'm going to single out the Rose Community Foundation, a foundation here in, in Denver that uh, I have some familiarity with. Already they've given away over $1.75 million in sort of emergency funding, emergency relief to very worthy organizations dealing with people who are suffering most economically in most cases from uh, from this virus. But more broadly, Dominic, not just this one foundation, but foundations across the area, philanthropists and donors across the area who are digging as deep as possible to try to make a difference here and to try to ameliorate this as best as possible. Here, here. Lucille, you're say something nice. Um, I've really been enjoying the art recreation movement online. Uh, lots of museums and art galleries across the world have um, opened up their their artwork and encouraged people to recreate them at home. Uh, as we all c- contemplate how long we will be at home, uh, it's really lovely to have something that is artistic and creative for us to, to focus on in addition to all of the other uh, very impending news. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I want to include to say something nice as well. A uh, good friend of mine, uh, John Digby, a supporter of this show, uh, also uh, runs a trucking company, and it's folks that are part of his trucking company that are joining truckers from across the entire country of all different kinds of companies that are keeping all of our stocks uh, uh, replenished and making sure that there are supplies. We're not worried as a country about uh, anything really besides toilet paper, uh, that all those shelves are being filled by great folks in grocery stores and stores across the country. But all that stuff is getting to them because of uh, great truckers, many of them uh, working for our friend John Digby. So thanks for supporting the show and for all the work that you're doing. And I want to thank all of our viewers out there for their support of PBS 12. You may have seen some of our spots just starting this week. In times like this, we figured, especially in April, we usually probably would have done some more of our fundraising program. We have big fans of, out there of all the different fundraising programs. But we have suspended those in April because we know this is a very important time for all of us to kind of keep up to our routine. So we're keeping with that, but the need for your support for programs like this hasn't gone away. If you're in a position to continue your support for PBS 12, I would uh, encourage you to continue that support. What it is helping us do is keeping shows like this talking about issues in Colorado on the air. We're very proud of that. So thank you for your support. And for everybody here at Colorado Winsett Out and PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.